My name is Chris Hamilton, and uh, uh, I'm privileged to serve as one of the elders um, here at Grace Community Church. We have a very short amount of time to cover an awful lot of ground, um, and we're going to hand the reins to you here in a few minutes, so I want to give you some ground rules, help help you help us. Um, you're going to determine what ground we cover and how quickly we do it, um, so let me talk to you for a minute about asking a good question, Okay. So that when we get there, you can help us. One, please don't tell stories, okay? We need a question. Boil it down to a question. And if you're walking in with a question, maybe think about writing that down right now. Um, if your question is, I'm going to tell you something now so you're not offended when this happens. It's not personal. But if your question is taking longer than about a minute, I'm going to help you. One of two ways. I'm either going to state the question that I think you're trying to ask or I'm going to ask you just uh, um, sit down, we'll come back to you, okay? Do not be offended by that, please. Um, we're just trying to move this along. And one of the things that I would also ask that you consider is whether the question you're asking is helpful to other people in the room rather than just you, okay? Um, and then I will be repeating all the questions for the sake of the recording, which is something I want to tell you. We get asked this a lot. You will be able to re-listen to this. Um, I think by next week. And so I am going to restate the questions so that we have a good recording and so that you don't have to worry about whether you need to get to um, a microphone. Okay. Our goal in this session is to bring clarity from the word of God and also practical guidance from two men here who are known far and wide, who probably need no introduction. Um, they're known for their emphasis in ministry and their personal life, their commitment to discipleship and and developing leadership. Mark Dever, of course, is the pastor of, of um, Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. Um, he is a very accountable man. One of the ways I know that is my daughter lives and works in Washington, D.C. and called me last week on her way home from work, which she does occasionally. And she says, Dad, there's Mark Dever. And I said, he's not alone, is he? And she said, no, he's walking with a man. And that's how she always says she sees Mark Dever is he's walking with somebody. He's discipling, always, always, always. Um, Chris Mueller is pastor of Faith Bible Church in Murrieta um, here in California. I've known Chris almost 40 years. He discipled me when I was 18 years old until I was about 23, and he threw up his hands and gave up. Um, that was back when he was on pastoral staff here at Grace Community Church and John's assistant um, before he left to... Um, take a pastorate. So that's the introduction. You know these men. Let me just, I get to ask the first question or two. Mark, I'm going to start with you and then ask Chris to answer the same question. And the question is this, someone in your church approaches you and says, will you disciple me? Tell us how you process that question and that relationship. It will depend on um, any relationship I have already with that person to sort of know what they're like and how they're going to respond to things. Uh, it could be something like the following. I don't think so. Um, you want to meet up and talk sometime? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, here's my phone number. Just give me a call, and uh, we'll, we'll set something up. Okay, that's it. Uh, my answer will be a little longer. <clears throat> so 
I want to frame discipleship, and I liked your definition that you gave the other night, so I'm, I'm really good with that. Uh, it is intentional relationships for the purpose of growth in Christ, uh, hopefully in the context of the church or moving towards the church. Uh, it is to influence people to become like Christ. Uh, that comes out of an understanding of where discipleship actually uh, is used in the New Testament. If you understand the term disciple, it's saturated in the Gospels. It's saturated in the early part of the book of Acts. But by Acts 21, the word disciple disappears. And it's not in any epistle. Uh, it's not in any of the what you would expect to say the church you know, letters in the New Testament. And the reason for that is because there's been a fundamental change. What you had in the Gospels was Christ himself discipling his men. What you have as it transitions is now the body of Christ discipling God's men. Does that make sense? You move from Christ directly to the body directly. The terms change. You have older women training the younger women in Titus 2. You have the younger men who are submitting to and following the older men in a persecuted church there in 1 Peter chapter 5. But what you have is this investment. So when somebody asks me, they say, will you disciple me? I'm wondering where their context is within the context of our local church. I don't believe that we want disciples. We're trying to make disciples of Christ. And you're a part of that process. You're a part of that process. But the local church itself their engagement in ministry, their relationship to one another, their involvement as they interrelate to others within the context of the body, their service, their heart, their evangelism, all that comes into play in helping them to become a man of God and the, God that, uh, the, the man that God intended them to be. Does that make sense? So what you're trying to do as a discipler is be a part of that process. It could be one-on-one, but it doesn't necessarily have to be on one-on-one. And I'm mentioning that because so many of our understandings of discipleship is actually errant. It's come out of the parachurch organization that I meet with one-on-one with somebody in a boring book at Denny's where everything tastes like scrambled eggs. And so I don't want to do that. I want to actually have them be a part of the Great Commission, the going, baptizing, and teaching them to obey how much? All that I've commanded you. So every element of their lives is on the line as you make that investment. So I'm asking that same question. I'd probably do the same thing as far as, hey, let's, let's talk, let's engage, but I'm wondering, are they engaged in the body? Where are they at? Are they saved? What's happening in their life? And are they going to be then mentored in this process or discipled or impacted in other relationships? And I want to be a part of that. Sometimes it means, hey, you probably ought to be in this ministry or with these men other than me, because that's going to be a greater asset for you and your personal growth. So that's how I would start with that question, because I want to frame it in the context of the church. Most of our understanding of discipleship, generally speaking, is errant. We're, we're thinking, you know, Campus Crusade, and I, I, this is not a, 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 a condemnation of the ministry, but we're thinking one-on-one when actually it's the body and you're engaged in that process and helping other people. You might even engage the effectiveness of other people in their life as a part of their discipleship, to bring them under the authority of the Word of God in every area, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So that was a long answer to the first question. But it sets the framework when we talk about discipleship. It's that we're wanting them to either come to Christ or become like Christ in that process. And it's in the context of the church that that's done most effectively. All right? 
Okay. Now you two are both involved in full-time ministry and um, everyone wants to be discipled by the pastor. And, and that's why I asked that question. Um, by the way, how many of you are in full-time ministry? Let's see your hands. Okay. How many of you are lay elders or involved um, in that role in the church? Good. That helps these guys know who they're talking to. So you're in a discipleship relationship. How do you know when it's done? When is it over? Uh, certainly if they die. <laughs> Uh, or, or you give up. Well, it, you know, if, if, if they move or I move, it's not necessarily over because I, you know, I get phone calls and they come back and visit and hang out for a weekend. And, um, because I tend to avoid the formal, I, I, like, you know, with, with Mark here, I'm, I'm never going to tell Mark I'm discipling you. I'm just not going to do that. I, I don't want those kind of expectations. I don't know everything he, he would think by that. Uh, am I, in fact, discipling him? Yeah, yeah. Uh, am I going to own up to it? Probably not. Uh, you know, it, uh, will, I be trying, will I be praying for him, deliberately trying to affect his life? Yes. Will I, will I promise to meet with him every week at 2 o'clock on Tuesday? No. Will I promise to do that every other week? Or two? No. Uh, I will always set up a meeting. <clears throat> when that meeting is done, depending on that meeting is gone, we will then set up another meeting whenever it is mutually convenient. It may be three times in a week. It may be once in three months. It just depends at that point on what's going on in his life and my life. But therefore, it becomes this elastic friendship that can include so many different variations of intensity that I don't know when that relationship that really is of discipling is going to be done. Uh, Because I've got guys, you know, in various places in the U.S. who, call me with some regularity to ask me what I think about this or check in on Connie or tell me how their kids are doing or so. Uh, I don't know when it's, I guess when I'm in heaven. Yeah. So I think as far as when it's done, obviously if they're dead, um, but sometimes it means that they're in another process of relationship within the context. If you create an environment of discipleship, that they're now being mentored and discipled by other individuals in an intensive way. And again, sometimes it means one-on-one, and one-on-one is great. The teeth of accountability are very strong in that process. But in that process, the danger is they become like you, because I don't want them to become like you. I want them to become like Christ. So I want also the involvement of other people in their lives and creating an environment or a structure in a church that actually is pursuing discipleship is a very strong environment where they can then be involved in another ministry and yet also involved and in, in invested into by other people and investing into others themselves. So I like to create environments where I can be interrelated to a lot of different guys at varying levels. And it, it is. It's sometimes very intense, very focused, and other times it's, uh, it's more relational and just uh, working through uh, basic issues of life. But creating that environment is key to my entering and exiting those kind of relationships. Uh, there, there really is no goodbye when you're bonded uh, in the, the work of Christ. And so uh, if you're still both alive and, and kicking, there, you're, there's some involvement that occurs even years later. Uh, and it's a, a, one of the most amazing joys that you can experience. Great. Questions? Yes. Can you just, guys, just discipline yourselves to give your name, your church, and where your church is? We were just in Santa Cruz last weekend. Really? 
Yeah. Do you know Drew Cunningham? All right. You should meet him. You should get you go spend time with him. Isn't we were that wandering what you around Howell State Park looking at the yeah. Redwoods. Yeah. Who, who else is here from Kenya? Uh, sorry. <laughs> or Haiti. Or Haiti. Any Haitians? Yeah. <laughs> you guys Trying to get, get the together. Haitians to meet each other. All right. Question. Go ahead. The, elliptical okay. 30 minutes most mornings in my basement by myself o- older older times uh it would be in a gym and deliberately with other guys uh yeah just for the recording he asked about um exercise okay so i guess we made that into a discipleship question yeah. because you do it with other men you pretty much do anything and I, everything I don't with now i just do the elliptical in my basement early in the morning yeah. but i used to and it was deliberately to do it with other guys yeah okay other questions? Yes. Name, church, location. Okay, I'm going to repeat these questions, so thank you for waiting. The, um, uh, the question is, with, when you're parenting your children, you obviously have access to a lot of other um, of their friends and their, their families, and how do you initiate discipleship relationships in those contexts? Or do you? Parenting is discipleship. Stop, stop, stop calling it parenting. It's confusing. You're, you're making disciples, Right. You want them to come to Christ, and then you want them to become like Christ. You know, you want them to bring glory to God, and that's how that's happened. So you, you want to model that. You want to teach that. So as you're interrelating with other people, uh, you want to begin to invite that into your home uh, and your relationships with others. I mean, I, we try to make our home just an open environment so that it became the place that everybody came to. And it, it's an environment where you can just sit down on the couch and begin to talk about where, you know, where they're at. Have they th- had thoughts about God? Are, where are they at with Christ? And, and begin to show them and demonstrate to them what a Christian family actually functions like. Uh, and that's a huge curiosity, especially if they come from a, a damaged home. As the college pastor here at Grace, it was week after week after week. I, I would just be talking to my wife about who's going to pick up the milk and the cheese on the way home from church, and, and they'd be collegians coming from these busted-up homes going, calling me the next day going, oh, I saw the way you talked to your wife. And you're like, what were we talking about? Picking up milk and cheese. But they're watching. So you modeling having a, a, being a Christian husband, being a Christian father to those other friends of theirs is huge. It's a massive opportunity for ministry. So don't ever minimize it. And I, you can't necessarily always do that on the field, but you can demonstrate that too by not screaming at the kids and, you know, doing what the other coaches do. You know what I mean? You know, <laughs> let me politely tell you, don't ever do that again. You know, whatever. Okay, so I get it. Go ahead. Okay. Yes. Okay, the great question. Are you, are you deliberate in initiating discipleship relationships? Kind of. Uh, I stand at the door at church after services, and I will probably on most Sundays say two or three or four times, hey, give me a call. And almost never do they give me a call. 
But, but let me follow awesome. up. Let me follow up on that because Mark, you don't remember this. You have these conversations a thousand times a, a week. But I remember talking to you after I visited your church, and I asked you, "What do you do with all the people that come up to you and say, Pastor, um, I want to meet with you?" And your response is, at least what you, you told me, was something along the lines of, "Why?" And their answer is, "Because you're my pastor." And if you can take it from there, how do you how do you handle that interaction? Well, again, Chris, it's going to depend on who the person is and what I know in that relationship. But let me just do one way. Um, if they're asking to meet with me in particular and I've followed it up with why, that means I have some question about that. And I would just point out, well, actually, we have 28 pastors, you know, counting the, the, the lay elders in the church. So it's not that I'm going to refuse to meet with the members of our church, but it just... I would need to understand why it's me in particular, because I have responsibilities among our elders that these other elders don't have. So I'm actually not going to serve you as well. So I would just want to know why it is you're wanting to meet specifically with me, because I'll almost certainly direct you to another elder. I think it's really helpful to hear that, because sometimes we start thinking we are responsible to meet that request by everyone in the church. And I learned from Mark Dever many years ago the diplomatic, and maybe not so diplomatic sometimes, way— Diplomacy's overblown. Right. But but to, to get people to talk to you about their um, their motivations and their desires and to help and you're helping them by doing yeah. that. And honestly, Chris, sometimes when somebody would follow up with explaining why, I would think, Oh, that's probably good that I meet with them. So it's not that it's it's just a, a shunt to get them to do something else, but it's diagnostic and I'd say nine times out of ten. They honestly would be better served by talking to somebody else. And yeah. I could point to somebody. Diagnostic else. and purposeful. Yeah. And I think that's the a high view of the church and a high view of the function of the church is a big part of that, where they actually talk to individuals who are stronger in areas than you would or be able to answer their question or enfold them into a, uh, a group or a ministry that would be a great a growth process for them. Yeah. Okay. Yes, sir. Um, how do we initiate no, you got to give name, church. Place. Okay, how do you pursue discipleship from an older man? Uh, to, older man. to an older man. Oh, I see. An older man is asking you or pursuing you to disciple. I've noticed a steadily declining number of older men, actually. Yeah, myself as well. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't happen. It'll as take often them a moment to, to figure that out logically, but it's, yeah. we don't know what you're talking. about. I promise about. the logic on that one's airtight. Um, uh, you know, when I got to our congregation in Washington, it, it it was mainly people born in the 1890s. No, I'm dead serious. And then the first decade of the 1900s, um, and I was born in 1960, so I was the age of their grandchildren. So what I did, I just uh, went around to everybody's home because there was only 130 of them and I had nothing else to do. And a lot of those 130 were married to each other. So, you know, know, it's 60 or 70 homes to go to. And uh, I would just do what I would call a membership interview in my own head. I didn't call it that to them. But what we do now is membership interviews. And I'm just taking down their testimonies and getting their whole experience so as I begin to get to know them and ask them spiritual questions, I'm establishing a relationship with them. I'm the learner because I'm asking questions, but then I'm, a- I'm asking the questions. So I'm, I'm shaping the relationship even by the questions I'm choosing to ask. 
So when the the one man tells me how much he liked that pastor we had in the 1960s because he told funny stories and he played golf all the time, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I'm talking to a spiritual midget. You know, I'm thinking this man is either unsaved or not well grown spiritually. And that becomes vital information for me. You know, he doesn't seem to have a taste for spiritual things. Uh, whereas I'm talking to other people uh, and they're constantly giving me a spiritual evaluation of the pastors they've had, of how they evaluated the church where they came. And I'm thinking, I wouldn't know this from just meeting this guy on Sunday, but this guy is gold. You know, he is thinking biblically, spiritually, carefully. So I learn a ton. I'll, I always find in discipling relationships, whether I'm meeting with a guy who's 80 or a guy who's 18, it is never a one-way street. So the whole pyramid thing, I just think is crazy. Maybe that works in some kind of Ponzi scheme or, you know, some kind of... Amway. You know, Amway. Yeah. Well, well, Amway's not a Ponzi scheme. Oh, uh, there you, you know. go. All right. Um, nice cover. But, in, but in, in, real, in real discipling, it's always both ways. If you're not learning from the people you're meeting with, there's, you're viewing it wrong somehow. Some, something's gone on that's a little broken. So I never just am thinking like Chalcedonian Christology, I got to teach that today. You know, and then in 45 minutes, make sure I've dumped into this 70-year-old man's head, Chalcedonian Christology, and then, okay, done, now next appointment, you know, now next. It's just, that's not what discipling is like. Discipling may mean with this certain guy, we may read through David Wells' Person of Christ. We may read through some of the early Christological controversies. I don't think I've done that yet, but I mean, that still could happen. Uh, I doubt it. I'd be much more likely uh, read through J.C. Rowell's Holiness or something. Yeah. But just uh, I would I would find something to be useful for the brother that he would be interested in. So like right now, uh, I can think of one guy who's older than me that I meet with pretty regularly. He and I, he, he's the CEO of a company. And we'll just go around to various sites of his company and we'll talk and we'll talk about his family. I met with him a week ago Wednesday night and we were just praying about a situation his family. I was asking him questions about it. Uh, trying to help him think as a Christian. It kind of relates back to that answer or or the thing that I said in some context. I've been in so many contexts here. uh, Maybe you didn't hear me say it, in which I said the difference between the way a young man thinks about Christian maturity and an older man thinks about Christian maturity, a young man thinks of it increasing, an older man thinks of it as continuing. You know, the the young man just out of college, there's things you witness to more people. Are you reading more, you know, books? Are you memorizing more verses? You know, the guy who is, you know, gone through his third period of unemployment and his relationship with his, you know, his his friends are really difficult, and his health is going downhill. It, the question for him is: Do you still trust Jesus? Are you still a believer today? Well, that's amazing that with your circumstances, you're still hanging on. You know that 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 counts greatly as an important ju- part of the journey home. So I'm going to encourage that brother in what he's going through, and I'm not trying to make sure he, you know, knows ten more chapters than. You know, a young guy will often think of it. So it's going to look a little different, but the same thing you're going for is that spiritual hunger and and trying to feed that, whether they're younger or older. And maybe in another context, you want to understand that a disciple, the word is learner, follower. So you're a learner. And if you've cultivated an environment where people actually understand relationship, you know, that the triune God is in an eternal relationship, Jesus prayed, you know, that we would be one as he is one, that there's 41 another's and the New Testament, that everyone's gifted differently, that actually when you create a culture where people understand that we're learning from each other all the time, that we benefit from one another, the issue is truth, that we're following truth, that your pulpit is hopefully demonstrating the reality of truth, and also being a learner, 
so that you can learn from anybody in that congregation, including someone way younger than you, especially as it relates to truth. When that's modeled, when that's cultivated over time, it creates an environment where age is not an issue. The only thing is, is I want to become like Christ. And therefore, the means of grace in relationship to one another become a huge asset to cause me to grow to be like Christ. But it requires humility, and it requires an environment where people begin to understand a biblical ecclesiology and how we function with one another. So we're all learners. We're all wanting to learn and be more like Christ in any context. So then it diminishes the age issue. And that we begin to pursue one another regardless of age, but how Christ is manifested in that situation. Does that make sense? So it really less and less of an issue in in our church where the age is an issue. Albert, is it a lot more an issue in in a Chinese church? Yeah, I was thinking culture too. Yeah. Do you want to add anything else for any of the East Asian brothers here that would be useful? Well, I, I think what you said is is really true that I cultivate, um, but by asking of visiting them and try to try to let them see that you are not like a new pastor coming into. I'm going to teach you, uh, but I am going to learn about you because I'm interested in you. So I, I think that is very helpful. Thank you. Okay, let me uh, back here. Right there, yeah. Good question. Question is, uh, uh, a couple, um, your involvement of you and your spouse discipling together and being discipled or just discipling? Discipling together. I think it's really important that you have, obviously, man-to-man, woman-to-woman. I mean, that's really laid out in Scripture. I, I really believe that couple-to-couple is actually one of the most effective ways that you can make dramatic change in a couple's life. It might not necessarily be my wife and, and this person it has to be, but a couple in the church who's walking under the authority of the word, uh, seeing some progress of grace in their life, and they begin to demonstrate the, uh, their lifestyle and choices to another couple. Super effective. We've actually programmed that into our church system, so that happens a lot, uh, where there are couples ministering to couples at varying levels, and very fruitful, very effective and obviously, uh, dramatically, uh, it, it changes people's lives. We have a, people coming to Christ through that process and growing deep and, uh, and stable. Uh, I agree with everything Chris just said. I, I would just say that it varies a lot on life stage. So my wife has thyroid cancer. Her thyroid was removed five years ago. She's a radically different person now than she was five years. So for 32 years, we had a ministry that was a lot like that. Now the ministry is completely different. And so, because uh, she just can't, you can't plan on her doing anything ahead of time. So it's just going to look different times depending on what, what your circumstances are. Okay. In the back over there against the wall. Yes, the guy turning around saying, is it me? Yep. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Behind you, by the wall. Okay, that, did, that awesome. wasn't helpful.
Okay, how do you establish a culture of discipleship in a church? Okay, uh, interesting enough, you want to make sure that if you have the opportunity to have less program than you already have, if you can buy that up, like even a season, like over the summer, something unique where you're, you're, you've cut back uh, to begin to start a process of having life on life. It's got to start with you. And it's got to start with your leaders. And if they begin to catch a vision for this in ministering to one another and understanding this process of how the church works and uh, ministering to one another in the, in the context of an intentional relationship, then that may start behind the scenes for a couple of years even. But you're going to want to, at some point, to be able to have that infused into the body. And you don't want to overwhelm people because they're already committed to multiple different things, maybe not the best things. And so you want to measure that as well. I, when it comes to program at our church, we say when the horse is dead, get off. You know, it's, if it's not working and it's not being fruitful, then let's stop that. So we, we have a, an element of change that is, I think, hopefully healthy where, uh, you know, obviously we teach our people change is good. And the reason is, is because if you're not changing, you're not becoming like Christ. If you're not becoming like Christ, you're not growing and that's bad. So there needs to be that process of change. And then the element of teaching it, making sure that it's, soundly taught from the pulpit, soundly taught in, in different elements that you have that are laying the foundation for you to then begin to have a discipleship impact. Now, my elders, when I started at our church, were extremely committed to the process of discipleship. They already were on the same page. I didn't have to convince them. And we had very little program. We're a set-up, take-down church. So we just decided, I'm opening up my home. I've got nine rooms, uh, including both garages, and uh, basically, we met for 20 minutes, and then we divided up into discipleship groups, and we did that for months. It was like 60 guys in the morning, 60 guys at night. When the women started, there's 110 women. All their shoes are outside. It was an awesome sight. They're all inside, you know, basically taking up every room, and we're working this through, and we're demonstrating and following it up. And we started with discipleship as, as a main program of our church to get it in the water. Uh, so anytime you can do that, you got to start with your leadership. Your leadership has got to be on the same page. There's got to be teaching on it, and it's got to be demonstrated, and then it's got to be infused within the context of the body. You may be looking at a five-year plan or a 10-year plan. It's going to take time, but it's something you want to work towards. People understanding the value of the means of grace of people investing into one another is super valuable, and it's actually what we're called to do. It's the Great Commission. So let's be a part of that process. Jesus said that we're to do this until the end of the age. We're not there yet. So we need to keep going and doing this, you know, process. Does that make sense? Go ahead. I would just say it's like yeast. I mean, nobody's going to be offended. You just start meeting with people. And as you start doing that, those people will naturally start doing that with others. And you can, you can mention it from your, from the pulpit as you teach, but there's just, I, I assume in most churches, there will be zero opposition. Uh, there might be zero interest, you know, but I think there'll be zero opposition unless you're doing something weird. So I think it's pretty easy to get started. Just take, then, then you just have to be really patient and just pray the Lord will bring fruit. Let me uh, jump in with a follow-up question. You both have um, indicated that it starts with you and the men around you. 
Um, I know this isn't true of anybody in the room. It's hypothetical, so I'll ask it. What about an elder or a group of elders who just aren't buying into that? They're not. Um, they should not be elders. Okay. What 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 you said uh, the other night when you preached, and you said if you're not a part of this, if you don't understand what it means to follow Christ in this manner, that's that's why he said that, because that's very true. If you're not helping somebody else follow Jesus, yeah. yeah. Whether it's evangelism or discipling, I don't know what you mean when you say you're following Jesus. Yeah, and at the now, highest level, I, I've got to be very careful saying that because I'm off the charts extroverted. And so if people think I'm telling them you need to be like me, I'm really not. I'm really not. All I'm saying is whatever your emotional wallet is, you need to spend that. You know, it, you don't you don't have to do it like I do it. But but whatever it is, you've been given that for a reason, you spend that. So when you say they shouldn't be an elder, um, uh, walk us through a little bit how much you're going to build into that man to try and um, see him turn that corner before. Probably zero. Uh, if, if, if they're not doing that, I'm not, that's, that's not what I'm looking for for an elder. So we don't get people to be elders so we can then make them elders. We're looking for the Holy Spirit is raised up as elders and then we yoke them up. It's, it's not that we don't learn and grow as elders. We do. But I'm saying that's such a basic app to teach thing that if, if I'm not seeing that, I'm not seeing probably the most basic thing I'm looking at for being an elder. I'd probably approach that differently. Uh, I would probably take that, those men, those two, and I would start meeting with them individually. And I would walk through the scripture with them and, and hopefully bring them to a point where they would discover either they're not an elder or they need to adjust their perspective. And that's probably particularly true if you if you take a new pastorate, you're handed an elder board. Right. Oh, that, that's very yeah. different. You don't want to uh, come in all guns a blazing and, you know, you, you <laughs> woohoo. <laughs> Cause those guns do shoot back, you know, uh, sheep bite. <laughs> um, so anyway, we, you know, I, I want to work with them. I want to see if, if they're regenerate, then they have the Holy Spirit. If they have the Holy Spirit, they're going to want to respond to the Word of God. If they're not going to respond to the Word of God, then then something's missing in their, you know, the perspective. And I want them at least to come to a point to say, well, maybe I should serve elsewhere. I think that's worthwhile. People are important. You know, I don't want to cast them aside. So I, I want to I want to work with them to the point where I can go, okay, we've we've come to a point of a, at least agree to disagree on this issue. Yeah. Okay, good. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, I think. No, it, what do you do if nobody has interest in discipling? Nobody in, interested in discipling you, in particular, pray like crazy, you know, and uh, maybe meet with someone who you respect and uh, and share your heart with them, uh, and and talk through what the scripture would say about that, and and maybe try to encourage a heart for him to make that kind of investment. And, and you just start discipling other people. I think I was discipling others before anybody ever discipled me. So it's not like I had a Paul pouring into me, so I'll be Timothy and I'll turn around and take Timothy 2 too and disciple others. I came to Christ in a big Southern Baptist church where there was no culture of discipling. 
but I wanted to evangelize and tell people about Jesus. And so I just pretty naturally grabbed a hold of other guys and started reading the Bible with them. Well, nobody told me to do that. It just felt natural. Um, would I like somebody who discipled me? Yeah. But even when I was an undergrad, I went to a Presbyterian church. You know, I'm like 18, 19. This pastor's in his mid-40s probably at the time. Well, I set up a meeting with him that I initiate on Friday afternoons for us to take a walk. And I ask him about how his life's doing. You know, how's his wife? How's his, you know, uh, you know. He was welcome to ask me those questions, but he wasn't. So I was asking him those questions, you know. And eventually people catch on and the culture kind of grows. Yeah, the point is, is that you're doing it. Just, just do it. Just get out and do it. And I also think it's important to say you can be discipled by the Apostle Paul. It's called the Word of God. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, if yeah. You, and you can go beyond that. Acts chap- Jesus, too. Proverbs chapter... <laughs> Proverbs chapter 6, go to the ant, O slugger, consider her ways and be wise. Uh, the word of God is powerful, and I think that's part of the element here of discipleship. When you have nobody to pour into you, there are so so much discipleship that's available. Yeah, my experience was totally different because I, I, by an act of faith, John MacArthur got in my 72 exploding pinto, and I took him to a baseball game, and he said to me, you can ask me any question, anytime, anywhere, and I've been doing it for 40 years. Mm-hmm. So I've always had someone that was pouring into me, and uh, and you just keep, and and it didn't explode. So you didn't get rear-ended. No. Yeah, that's good. No, we didn't get lit on fire. That's for the older crowd. They understand what I meant yeah, yeah, when yeah. I said that. Okay, right back here. Oh, are you the only one here from Lucknow? Hey, brother. I, every culture's got its strength and every culture has its weakness. Repeat right? the question, Chris. Oh, I'm sorry. The, the issue is how do these cultural issues work for you or work against you? So you, you learn as you go, you know, and, and you begin to discover what, what's a strength and what's a weakness. And so some cultures are very, in the, in the Mideast and, and even in Russia, there's a, a more of a relational perspective. You know, in America, we go into our garage, the garage door goes down, we don't talk to anybody. You know, there's, there's no relationship at all. In Russia, if your light bulb leaks or something, you know, there's water coming down from the apartment above, everybody in that entire apartment building is coming over and, you know, they're telling you what's going on, you know. And they're all arguing. And so there's, a, there's an element of, uh, of just, you know, there, there's a culture that, that you need to understand. So, you know, and, and you need to be mindful of that. But you know what to do. You learn the strengths and weaknesses of every culture. And then you, those that are basically following the emphasis of the scripture, then you basically bank on those strengths. And those that are not, you are trying to shore up just like weaknesses would be in your own life and say, well, let's, let's try to make some progress this way. And, and sometimes you just step on their air hose and you realize, I, I don't know if this is going to go very far. I went into Mexico City and started talking about leave and cleave. You ever done that in a matriarchal society uh, where all the kids are living with mama? Uh, it was Viva Zapata. It was a revolution. Uh, they were not ready to leave and cleave and, you know, on that issue. And so in relationship, you want to be aware that there are, you know, Asian issues uh, and there are Hispanic issues that you're going to have to be aware of, uh, not to dance around, but just be aware of. And then you can accentuate those strengths and then you have to try to overcome those weaknesses. 
I know that's a basic answer, and Mark will have something more profound to say. Uh, but, you know, just the, the issue is, is start the relationship, start the investment, and then learn as you go. But you might know some people who can actually guide you along the way as well. I concur. Oh, come on. We were all waiting for profound. That was very profound. That really. was profound. Okay, yes, sir, right here on the Selah. floor. Yes. Blue shirt. Talk about the weekenders and discipleship. Uh, I do think uh, any age pastor could benefit by coming to the weekender. I think it's not so much a matter of age as a matter of openness to learning. So are you, so like I'm 58, but still when I go to another church, I'm fascinated by what they do, how they do it. I'm always looking to see what I can learn. So if that's your attitude, the weekender's for you. If you're 22 and think you know it all, don't come to a weekender. You know, it's just not going to be useful for you. Weekender is a five-day conference that's had, held at the Capitol Baptist Church three times a year, third weekend in March, May, and September. You can uh, go to the Nine Marks website, ninemarks.org, look it up to register to get on one. You sit through an elders meeting. You, uh, oh, glory. Uh, you, uh, <laughs> great, I not only got my own elders meeting, now I'm sitting in your elders meeting. Uh, we have special sessions that we lay on for you. You sit through a normal service on Sunday morning, Sunday night. Uh, you see a members meeting. Uh, Sunday night, and uh, then there are a couple of other sessions. It's a great, great weekend. I highly recommend it. Chris, you do a training center in your church. Maybe talk um, briefly about that. You do. Yeah. T- you approach this a little bit different way. Yeah, Chris, we real have- quick before you do that. If you've been on a weekender at CHBC, would you just raise your hand? Keep the hands up for a second. I just want to look around. Okay, so I'm saying ten guys. Okay, great. You all Thanks. need to talk to each other. <laughs> Uh, we have a training center at our church. It's a training for laymen. Uh, it's a three-year process. Uh, the first year is Bible, where they get Bible and theology and practical theology. It's actually, literally, the ordination preparation class at the Master Seminary, which I taught when it first started. And so we just continued that on, and uh, we invest into guys. It's a discipleship-based program where they're ministering to one another. We're ministering to them. They're ministering in the context of the church. And so it's very intensive. Uh, men have gone through it, and enough men have gone through it that they know they can survive. Wives want their husbands to go because their lives change, and they become uh, better husbands. Uh, they become leaders. Uh, they become uh, men of God And uh, through that process. The second year, we focus on shepherding, and uh, we begin to start with them an understanding of Greek, and uh, we actually walk through exegesis and we go through a, basically a pastoral ministry perspective. So we go through all the key passages and all the key aspects of what a pastor does through the course of the whole year. Uh, they're expositing. They're also uh, giving a Greek outline every week. They're going through this process. It's just once a week for three hours. It usually includes dinner beforehand because that's a relational element. We want to be able to talk to each other. We stick around afterwards for hours sometimes just talking about basic issues 
And uh, we're just working through this whole process. And it's a discipleship-based process. The third year, we work through leadership, which is kind of the why, what, how, a philosophy of ministry. They're doing more Greek. They do a ministry thesis by the end of the year, where some of the guys are agonizing through that right now, where it's a practical, you know, how do I train my staff? How do I do this? And they put that together about 60 pages long. And there's a lot of other work to it. It, it, it ends up being about six hours to 20 hours a week, uh, work a week. We train the guys and, and help them to learn the discipline necessary to get up before their family, after their family. We talk to their wives. We're ministering to them. We're making sure that everything's going well, that they're not sacrificing their home in order to do this. And it's, that's just for ministry. We have other things called men of God, which train guys theologically. Uh, every one of our community groups is based on discipleship, where they can go man-to-man, woman-to-woman, and couple-to-couple. And then even after that, we have guys going to seminary, and we're working with them in a variety of ways. So we have a very training-based church, and the training center seems to be the one that people think about the most, but it's, it's just one of the elements of, of just investing into people and discipling people. Great. Thank you. Yes, sir. Okay. One-on-one meetings, do you design those to be more systematic or um, uh, person-focused? Not systematic. Why? Because depending on what Tom needs versus what Bill needs, it's just just so different. I'm not trying to make sure everybody goes through knowing God. I'm not trying to make sure everybody, you know, memorizes Romans 3. I'm not just, it's just different guys, different things are useful. Chris, anything you want to add? No, I, I would. I would be the same. I okay. concur. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> that's profound. Yeah, I know. Okay. I, I learned it oh, from the best. Oh, I'm, I'm, oh, Chris. So, brother, do, do you have something you do that is systematic that you're thinking? Oh, wouldn't this be a good thing? Good point. Yeah. No, 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 brother. If if I've got, if I've got somebody who's just come to Christ, like Gabe, stand up. Gabe came to Christ a little over a year ago. There, there are things I'm going to think of because knowing that about Gabe that I am going to want to cover. Yeah, in, in a way that, you know, Jonathan, you stand up. Jonathan's known the Lord for what, eight years, 10 years? Eight years? It's not going to, I'm not going to think exactly the same with Jonathan. So I'm going to factor that stuff in, but I'm going to have, if, ever, if I was in a university setting and it was an evangelistic ministry, and, and most 80% of the people I'm dealing with are Gabe's just coming to Christ, then I'm probably going to have the 10 transferable concepts of Campus Crusade for Christ or, you know, something like that. It's got to be nine. Nine. Yeah. Right? But, but, if, uh, but if I'm in a local church where I'm getting people all kinds of different backgrounds, different ages, that one size is just going to fit seven out of the 300 people. So calling it systematic, there'll be, there'll be reason to it. So it's systematic in that sense, but I'm, I'm probably not going to have an individual discipling program. That's going to be so comprehensive. We've taken in 150 different variations into account. Now we will have public classes kind of like Chris talks about. So we've got course seminars on Sunday morning that logically work through old Testament, new Testament, low side systematic theology, Christian life on an, into apologetics and missions. So we do all that and, that, and, and that's orderly systematic. But that's more a learning situation that somebody puts themselves in. That's not the kind of one-on-one or small group individual discipling. Yeah, we like to have ordered learning that's going on all the time. But my investment into them would be on other fronts. I want them to have that. 
Now, what I just described in the training center is a little bit different than Mark just described my training center. And in fact, in we're, not, we're not educating them in that process in the classroom. They're learning all that on their own. We're giving them the books. We're giving them the framework for them to learn that. When they come to class, so to speak, class, that's actually the practice field. We're beating them up to make sure they own it and understand it and walk through it. And that it becomes a conviction on their part. Does that make sense? It's different. And so, and then part of that is discipleship. Part of that is we're actually investing into the guys as they're working through it or struggling through it and learning that. But we, you've got to have some systematics somewhere in the context of your church, but your one-on-one meetings with them, I prefer not to do that there. I think that's much more effective as you're dealing with them to actually then bounce off of that and what they're learning. Does that make sense? So I was going to have my guys stand up too, and now they're going to think I'm imitating you by having them stand up. So the training center guys that are here right now, just are in the program right now, stand up, just, or have been through the program. So these are the guys that are all part of that process. One of their requirements, by the way, sit down. That's and right. this is why you couldn't okay. get a seat. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I told them not to come. So they're not listening. They're not, it, 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 obedience is something we got to roll into the program. Um, so... But what they're doing is they're going through this process of learning and growing, and then I'm involved in their lives, and other guys are involved in their lives, and we're all doing this together so that they become exactly what God intended them to become. And our target is not just to become like Christ. I know this is going to sound funny, but our target is also at Ephesians 2.10, it says, God has prepared good works beforehand that you should walk in them. Or it says in Acts 13.36, David fulfilled his purpose in his generation and then died. What's their purpose? What's the good works that God has prepared beforehand? We're trying to help them to get a gander an idea of what that is and direct them that way because when you do exactly what God's called you to do, you're fulfilled your entire life and you're blessed in that whole process. Not that that's the whole deal. I mean, there's so much of God's revealed word that we've got to get down, but they also should understand the way God has put them together and that they would then give their lives to that. Okay, good. All right, a lot of you have questions. Go ahead. Good question. Discipling your wife. <laughs> yeah, I think that answer is so obvious. The, the question is such an obvious one. I'm not sure what you could be looking for. One of the differences is I love her more than I love those guys. That's, that's, that's a big deal to me. Um, yeah, and, and that we're cherishing one another and growing together as one in Christ. And, and so I don't try to make that a forced deal, but it's something that my wife and I, we pray together or we'll read something together and, or we'll memorize scriptures together. Or she actually is, uh, I call her Mrs. Rogers. She teaches the K-1 in, in our church. And so uh, when she talks, uh, kids who are K-1 pick up a blankie and look for a glass of milk, and they're ready to listen. I mean, she's amazingly gifted. And uh, so she goes, though, washes those kids through the, the Bible in every six years. So she's dealing with uh, areas of the, the Scripture that I'm not dealing with from the pulpit as I'm walking through expositionally, you know, 35 messages in Second Timothy. I mean, she's actually focusing on, you know, several seasons of Old Testament Scripture. So we're always talking about the Bible. 
always talking about, always in the church and, and asking each other questions and learning and growing and applying. And, and it's just a part of the dynamic of our home. And we both delight in it. So it's something that we treasure. And then she's mentoring these six gals that she ministers with one-on-one and discipling them. And she will not disciple anybody who's not in ministry with her because she feels it's much stronger that they're in the context of ministry with her and in life. And so she goes through that dynamic. So I'm talking about the guys I'm ministering to. She's talking about the guys. You know, our lives are full and they're rich. And, uh, you know, we spend time just talking about the things of God and what he's doing and, and, and enjoying each other and working through, you know, family issues like everybody else. Okay, against the wall. Yep. Balancing work, family, and ministry. Well, I mean, very practically, uh, I don't agree to do anything outside of office hours without talking to Connie about it first. Um, So whether that's a trip away like this or a meeting with the elders. um, So her normal expectation is that if it's 530 or 545, I'm available to her. I'm helping her with whatever she's doing, probably getting dinner ready. Um, and if I'm going to ask about doing something else, it's going to be probably after 8 p.m., uh, just with no kids at home these days. Uh, yeah, and I would say that being sort of normal, even when, when the kids were little uh, and at home, meant that I didn't have the kind of harried schedule some pastors seem to have with meetings all the time in the evenings, uh, which was, uh, yeah, a great blessing to us. Every one of you is different, and uh, I always marvel at Mark and his capacity to actually do sermon prep with guys surrounding him uh, and talking to him and asking questions. The room I, looks a lot like this, I, actually. I, it's unbelievable to me. I, I have to be alone you know, in that process for me. So there's blocks of time that we've scheduled out for certain things as a family, and that's helped us a lot to maintain our priorities so certain days are given to certain things. And we know, and if she knows my wife, first of all, that I would rather be with her than any person on planet Earth. She's really free to let me go and do stuff. And there have been seasons of our lives, even opportunities where, you know, she needed me home, but there was a greater ministry need. She would be the one that says, you need to go. Because she knew I'd rather be there. That's number one. Number two, as far as priorities, blocks of time, days set apart. Uh, There are certain actually days that are extended all the way till 10 p.m., 11 p.m., where or it's just I'm working all the way through on Wednesday night. That's what I do. Uh, and, and, you know, then there's a, a shorter day on Thursday, but it's still an intense day. And then, obviously, training Monday and Tuesday nights, and then administration on uh, a Monday and Tuesday and various meetings with people. And Friday, a day off, and Saturday, I'm prepping again and gearing up and meeting with people and getting ready for Sunday. You know, so it's just a, a constant thing. She knows what my life is. Uh, when there's an exception, which is the outside expectation, the out, then w- my wife and I are talking about it as far as is that a good, better, best kind of thing. So we're trying to ask that question. But, it, you know, it's, it's learning that, dialoguing through it, looking at, you know, your biblical priorities and figuring out how to best do that. And that's why making time, most men in ministry, actually this process of discipleship kind of gets left behind because counseling, sermon prep, other things are taking demands. And you just have to say, you know what, this is a priority. 
This has to happen. If it's going to really make a difference in the means of grace present, present in my church, I've got to be a part of this process. Somehow, I've got to make it a priority and stick with it. And it's going to be tough. There's going to be times when it's going to be very difficult. But if it's not a part of the priority, it's not going to happen. Well, I, we both are very committed to very strong pulpits. Uh, that's, you know, you don't have a strong pulpit, you don't have a strong church, period. But other means of grace are a part of the pastoral role, and that includes discipleship. And so that needs to be a part of our expression as well. Okay, we have time for one more question, and I wish we had more right in the back. Yes, with the one, yeah, that's you. Okay, so wanting every man to be in discipleship, is that programmed or is that organic? Uh, I think the basic answer is organic, but that's not the same thing as I don't really care. Whatever happens is fine. So if if I say organic and the elders are talking about six months later and of the 28 of us, only 11 of us are meeting with anybody regularly, and of those, we're all just meeting with one person, and we have a thousand members in our church. Well, then, though we would still be organic, we'd say, "Okay, this is organically a problem," and um, we're, we're now going to figure out a way to try to deal with this to encourage the numbers of guys who are meeting up to increase. So I, I don't think we we're going to have a, there are just too many legitimate excuses of people who are out of town or who are just physically unavailable because he's working a midnight shift. Or just they're not spiritually interested enough. They're just not going to respond. You're going to be beating a dead horse. That I don't want to try to get a percentage of our membership involved. I just want an always, you know, lovingly aggressive expansion or an attempt at an expansion of the number of people who are involved in vital spiritual relationships. We've tried to set up a system where people can be discipled. As we go through as elders, our membership, and walk through that, and when we find that the people are not doing that, we try to actually find them on the patio and encourage them. Find out where they're at. It's, it's not an, an attack. We're not attacking them. We're just trying to get to know them, get to know their heart, and, and woo them to a sense of uh, this, how healthy this would be for them. And, and, we're, and we're also encouraging and exhorting and sometimes, you know, slightly confronting in this process. But we're very careful about that. But we want to know where they're at, right? You want to know where people are at spiritually. I mean, we're going to give answer, right? Hebrews 13, 17. So we want to be aware of where they are. And then we're always trying to, okay, let's, let's pursue that. We, and even in our community groups, there's men who oversee that and they become aware of where individuals are at and they're filtering that through those particular shepherds and those shepherds are trying to come alongside. And we're just constantly washing through this process of people growing to be like Christ and in that process of the means of grace through discipleship. Okay? Okay. Let's thank these men. Appreciate it.